0: So, we were sitting in staff meeting this week, as Doug mentioned, Tuesday morning, as usual, the entire staff gathers for a communication meeting. Among other things, we review the connection cards, spend some time praying, and then we, we plan ahead for the week and, and, and the weeks ahead. And I just casually mentioned that we only had two verses left in First Timothy. Why? I suggested I could probably finish in a 15-minute sermon this week. <laughs> you, would have thought, you would have thought I was Bob Hope. After the staff finished its fits of laughter, several pointed out that I had never preached a 15-minute sermon, that in fact they had seen me preach entire messages without ever getting to the text. You don't need verses to preach for a long time. All that may be true, but the gauntlet was thrown, and I accepted the challenge. In fact, I practiced, recorded the sermon to time it, and I share it with you now for your benefit. We arrive this morning at the conclusion of our study of the book of 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 6. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to the last two verses. Let me read the text for us today, beginning with verse 20. Oh, Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you, avoiding worldly and empty chatter, which sounds like Alvin and the Chipmunks, and the opposing arguments of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed and thus gone astray from the faith. Grace be with you. So let's stand and be dismissed in prayer. <laughs> so, after first service, someone comes in. These people were leaving the parking lot. So that's... I thought, Scott must not be preaching. Maybe I can't finish in 15 minutes, but I suspect it will, uh, it will be just a wee bit longer. We do arrive at the end of our study of 1 Timothy, which we started last August. What? It's six chapters. It is a bit funny. The, the week before Easter, Audrey Talley asked her father, Michael, our college pastor. I should have said, used to be cute, Audrey Talley. asked her Father Michael, since it is Easter this Sunday, is Pastor Scott going to talk about Jesus, or is he going to talk about Paul and Timothy like he always does? (laughs) I've got news for you, little Audrey. We're getting ready to go into 2 Timothy next week, so we've got a few more months to talk about Paul and Timothy. Paul gets to the end of this first letter, and he adds a, a personal, emotion-packed closing. You remember last week that I suggested that after sharing that very great doxology in verses 15 and 16, that it, that it really would have been a good place to end the letter there, but like any good preacher, he goes on and on. Uh, perhaps he had his secretary read the, the letter back to him, and he thought, wait, 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 something is, is missing, and he added those last few comments to, to rich people that we that we looked at last week. Then. Then, then I could see him grabbing the quill, sitting down and personally writing this closing we're getting ready to read. You see, it seems to be his practice to use a scribe or a secretary to, to write, but then he would take the pen and he would record the closing of each letter. You see, at the end of, of the book of Galatians, we read these words. See, what, uh, see with what large letters I am writing you with my own hand. And then at the end of 1 Corinthians, uh, he says this, this greeting is in my own hand, Paul. He says basically the same thing uh, at the end of Colossians and and Philemon. In fact, at the end of 2 Thessalonians, very interesting, he says, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand, and this is a distinguishing mark in every letter. This is the way I write. So, So this was his practice, to get to the end of the letter, even though he used a... A secretary to take the pen and sort of sign his letters, if you will, to authenticate that they had come from him. So we have every reason to believe that he gets to the end of First Timothy, takes up the quill and writes. He writes our text today in the conclusion of our study of the book of First Timothy. Look at it with me. First Timothy, chapter six, verse 20. "O Timothy. Guard what has been entrusted to you, avoiding worldly and empty chatter and the opposing arguments of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed and thus gone astray from the faith. Grace be with you. In those two short verses, Paul really sums up the content of the book of 1 Timothy. We, we, We should notice that this letter, along with Galatians, the only two of Paul's letters, he gets to the end and he records no personal greetings. He greets no friends. You see, in both letters, Paul is addressing a significant challenge in the churches in Galatia. And now here in Ephesus, he's addressing the significant challenge of false teaching. There is no time for niceties. To the end of his letter, it is all business. And so he tells Timothy, here, I need you to guard the deposit. I need you to avoid false teachers. And I need you to do that by the grace that Jesus Christ provides. Look at the beginning of verse 20. Oh, Timothy. The, the O oh is unfortunately untranslated in many versions, but that misses the emotion of, of Paul's um, words here. Timothy, you see, is his son in the faith, is his emissary to this well-loved church in Ephesus. Oh, oh, oh Timothy, he says, and Timothy is in the vocative. It's a, it's a statement of address. Again, father uh, t- in the faith, taking up the pen, writing to his son in the faith. Oh, Timothy. Guard what has been entrusted to you. More, more literally, guard the deposit. You see, that, that word there is actually a banking or a commerce term. There, there, there were very few banks back then, and those that were there were untrustworthy, and they certainly had no safe deposit boxes. So if you were getting ready to go on a trip, you would leave your most valuable possessions, your most precious possessions, with, with someone that you trusted, you would, you would leave it with them for safekeeping, on deposit, to be guarded. And, and when you returned, you expected to get your deposit back in full w- without any diminishment, without any change. And it was actually a law that said the deposit must be preserved unharmed and unchanged. This is the term that Paul uses. Timothy, you, you have been given a valuable trust, and I need you to guard it at all costs. Keep it. Don't, don't lose it. Don't change it. It must be preserved, unharmed, unimpaired. Paul uses this term again when he gets to 2 Timothy in chapter 1. The only other place in the entire New Testament the term is used. In, in 2 Timothy 1.12, he, he says... I know whom I have believed and I'm convinced that he is able to, to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. There Paul speaks of, of his confident faith in Jesus. I've left my faith with you, Jesus, and it, is, it will be guarded securely until the very day that Christ comes back. Then in verse 14, two verses later, he uses that term again, guard, Timothy, guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us, the treasure which has been entrusted to, to you. Again, you see this idea of uh, of treasure, this valuable, invaluable possession that has been entrusted to Timothy for safekeeping. In fact, in chapter 2 of, of Second Timothy, we'll see Paul say, the thing which you have heard from me in the presence of Of many witnesses, entrust, a derivation of the same word, entrust to faithful men, men who will also guard this trust, who will be able to pass it on, who will be able to teach others also, guard it, keep the deposit. So the question, I guess, is, is what is the trust? What is this deposit, this valuable possession that has been given to Timothy, entrusted to Timothy for safekeeping? Lots of discussion about that, but most generally agree that Paul is talking about the gospel and apostolic teaching regarding the life of the gospel that it is supposed to produce in the lives of believers. Timothy, I need you to guard that with everything in you. It is our most, listen to me, people, it is our most treasured possession. The gospel of Jesus Christ, I need you to pass it on, unharmed, unchanged, unimpaired, to people who will then in turn be able to pass it on to others. You see, this was the reason for the, for the Protestant Reformation of the 16th century. You had the Reformers come along and, and, and look at what was being taught by the church and compare it to the gospel of the scriptures and we got a huge problem here. We need to fix this. The gospel has been changed. Gospel is our most valuable possession. Paul refers to it over and over again in this book. In chapter 1, he talked about how Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And he saves those who believe in him for eternal life. In chapter 2, he challenged the church to, to pray for all people. Said God, Since God wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth of the gospel of Jesus. After all, he says, after all people of Nepal, there is only one mediator between God and men, the man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. In chapter three, he he spoke of the common confession that we share regarding Christ, who was revealed in the flesh, vindicated in the spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up into glory. what a great beautiful picture of the gospel. Paul was counting on Timothy to guard the precious truths of the incarnation, the atonement, the redemption, the the resurrection, the proclamation, the glorification of none other than Jesus Christ himself. Chapter 4, he spoke of fixing our hope on the living God who is the savior of all men, especially of those who believe. Believe what? Believe the gospel. Chapter 5, he, he, he spoke of taking care of those who teach and preach. Presumably those who teach this apostle's doctrine and preach the, the gospel. And now in chapter 6, he says, Timothy, guard this treasure, this deposit of the gospel. Every chapter, he makes reference to this gospel that was, was being attacked. Guard it. Different words. Throughout the book, to refer to the gospel, he called it a sincere faith, the faith, knowledge of the truth, the common confession, words of the faith, sound doctrine, sound words, the good confession, the commandment, and now he calls it the, de- the deposit. Here's the truth. Orthodox Christianity grounded in the gospel is, n- is never to be changed. is not to be reinvented, is not to be re-envisioned, it's not to be reinterpreted. It is to be cherished, guarded, and defended at all costs. It is divine revelation that is to be passed on to successive generations unimpaired. The truth is we have, listen to me very carefully, we have the same old, good, glorious gospel that the church has always had. It never need be new and improved. It's the gospel. In his sermon on this text, 5th century Saint. Leo the, the Great said, "What is meant by the deposit? That which is committed to thee, not that which is invented by thee, that, that which thou hast received, not which thou hast devised, a thing not of wit, but of learning, not of private assumption, but of public tradition, a thing brought to thee, not brought forth of thee, where thou must not be an author, but a keeper, not a leader, but a follower. Keep the deposit. Keep the deposit. It must never change. Why is it necessary to guard this deposit? Because, point two, there were all, already those at Ephesus who were, who were changing the deposit. They were all, there, was already, there were already people there who were deluding and thereby destroying the gospel. We've seen this throughout the book. These false teachers were concerned about strange doctrines heterodoxy, not orthodoxy. They were involved in myths and endless genealogies. All of that gave rise to just guesswork, mere speculation. Sounded really good, absolutely meaningless. They were involved in fruitless discussions. They promoted a misunderstanding and thereby a, a misapplication of the law of Moses. They were, they were teaching doctrines of demons. See, it's, it, it's not just uh, innocent to, to teach stuff that's not found in the Word of God. These are... Doctrines of demons, brought on by deceitful spirits. They were not only that hypocritical liars. They promoted an asceticism, which is this harsh treatment of the body. And you did that to be to be holy. You see, they were teaching that you need to stay away from certain foods and certain drinks, and say no to marriage, even though they themselves were involved in illicit, immoral sexual relations, as we'll see in Second Timothy. We saw they were only in it for the money. They actually taught a prosperity theology. They, they thought that, that godliness, ministry, was a means to personal financial gain. And, and this teaching was a disaster. The church of Jesus Christ is no place for the traditions of men that, that make stuff up, fancies of, the, the fancies of academic theology, or the speculation of cult. And I didn't say cult. F- false religious leaders. So Paul gets to the end of his study and says, I need you to guard the gospel. I need you to guard it at all costs. I need you to avoid worldly. And that word really means godless or an empty chatter, the empty chatter of heresy, the opposing arguments of what is falsely called knowledge. He continues to just... Let these guys have it. Unload on these guys with new terms and new phrases, piling phrase upon phrase, godless, empty chatter, godless. It actually applies to opposing arguments. That's the word from which we get our word antithesis. They they hold it out, this false teaching as knowledge, and the truth is we have people running around today who would seek to capture you with false knowledge. Churches across our land are filled with false teachers. Paul made it very clear in Galatians chapter 1, if anyone comes to you teaching a gospel other than that which I've taught you, even if an angel from heaven comes teaching another gospel, let him be eternally accursed. Guard the gospel. Don't stray. Don't listen to anyone who would seek to destroy the gospel of Jesus Christ. They will say things like, well, it doesn't really matter if you believe in Jesus as long as you believe in God. Any God will do. And we forget the fact that Jesus said, you cannot know God except through me. It doesn't matter if you believe in Jesus as long as you believe in a Christ figure. It it, it doesn't matter if you believe in the cross. That's so old-fashioned. That's so bloody. What's the big deal about the cross anyway? It it doesn't matter if you believe in the resurrection as long as you believe in the very good things that Jesus taught and try to live your life the way that, that he lived his life. Don't listen to strange doctrines. Do not listen to heterodoxy. Don't be involved in foolish discussions which are mere speculation that go beyond the scripture. Do not, please do not go back to the law. Don't listen to hypocritical liars, even if they are teachers on TV and radio and podcasts, wherever else you can find them. If, they, if their lives are suspect, who are hypocrites with their ungodly lifestyles, do not give them a hearing. Do not listen to them. Don't listen to legalists who suggest there are certain things that you need to do in order to be holy. And by all means, would you please listen to me? I'm begging you. I'm pleading with you. Do not listen to health, wealth, prosperity teachers of today who are only in it for the money, namely your money. False teachers. See, by doing so, Paul says, some have have professed or they have laid claim to this knowledge, this erroneous system, and they've gone astray from the faith. They have left the central tenets, the central truths of Christianity. They have left the gospel. Whether they lost their salvation or never had it in the first place is really not the point. They were wandering from the true Christian faith. We must earnestly contend for the faith of the gospel. Always, if we do not. Pastor David Platt says, we can easily become like so many churches in our day. Churches that have ceased to exist as true New Testament churches. The church landscape in Western Europe and across the United States is littered with churches that once used to preach the gospel, but have since left the gospel behind. These churches have doubted the glory of God, questioned the character of God, and either diminished or altogether ignored the Word of God. There are scores of churches where the truth of God has, at best, a minimal role. You can go to some churches today and the word may be occasionally referenced, but never explained never committed to, if a pastor rejects the authority of God's word, if this pastor rejects the authority of God's word and departs from the truth of the gospel, that church, this church, should remove him from his role, and I would add, at once. No place for this. We must fight the good fight for the faith. This is strenuous, exhausting, exhausting work, and you will not be popular, but I have some very good news for you this morning as we close. We do not have to do this. We do not have to fight in our own strength. You see, Paul finishes with his typical closing. Just like in our letter-writing convention today, we, we have typical closings that say something like, sincerely yours or very truly yours. Well, back then, there was a typical closing. It usually was something like this, Be strong. Ha, that would have been good, right? That would have been a great closing for this particular letter. Paul is calling on Timothy. I need you to fight the good fight of faith. I need you to deal with these heretics. I need you to deal with these church leaders. Remember these elders who are promoting he- heresy. I need you to guard the gospel. Be strong, Timothy. He doesn't say that. He never does. His closing in all of his letters involve grace. Grace be with you. Here he shortens it. It's usually the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. But as he gets to the uh, later, his later letters, and we're studying Paul's letters in the order that he wrote them, he just shortens it to grace be with you. Here's the point. You do not have to live the Christian life. You do not have to fight the good fight. You do not have to guard the gospel in your own strength. got Got bad news for you. You don't have what it takes. Got good news for you, do, for you today. He does. You don't have to fight, live the Christian life. You don't have to fight the good fight. You don't have to guard the gospel on your own. Grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the grace that saved you, is also the grace that sustains you. You will always be people of grace. You You need grace every moment, every day of your life. So it is a good thing that God's grace comes from an inexhaustible source. Grace, God's grace will be with you in everything that he calls you to do. You see, the good news is he calls us to, 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 to great tasks, but then he enables us to the task that he calls us to. And the word, the very last word in the text, the word you, is actually in the plural. A better translation would be grace be with you, with you all. You see, while this was a personal letter written from Paul to Timothy, it was his expectation that this letter be read to the church. In fact, that this letter be read and studied by all churches. This letter is for us. Grace be with you all as you guard the gospel, as you fight the good fight, and as you always resist false teaching. Let's stand for prayer.